This is Jay Baer from Convince and Convert. Welcome to season six of Social Pros. If you want to learn how big companies succeed with social media, you found the perfect podcast. The show is brought to you by Salesforce Marketing Cloud, inspiring one-to-one connections with your customers through social, mobile, email, web, and advertising. The show is also brought to you by Yext, whose award-winning location management platform helps companies of all sizes drive more foot traffic to their doors and get more customer reviews. And by Convince and Convert, social media strategy advisors and counselors to the world's most interesting brands. Convince and Convert makes your social better. My co-host for the show is Adam Brown. Find all links, archives, and more at socialpros.com. Are you ready? Let's get to work. Welcome, everybody, to Social Pros, the podcast for real people doing real work in social media. I am, as always, Jay Bear from Convince and Convert, joined, as usual, by my special, special, special Texas friend. He is in Austin. He is the executive strategist for Salesforce Marketing Cloud. He is Adam Brown. I am. It's, it's great to be here. Thank you, Jay. I, I, I'm, I'm really honored that I am your special, special, special Texas friend. Um, you are indeed. Just the special Texas friend. That's, that means a lot to me. Well, uh, I feel I've got really a lot of relatives in Austin too. Grown, so, you know, you're, yeah, it's good. Involved, has matured in these several years that we've had this opportunity to do this several unbelievably right. great Social Pros podcast. Several years is yeah. right. Uh, we've been doing this a long time. I, I think you're at probably, what, 100 shows now, I think, right? I think so. I have to check yeah. that. I'd have to go back and check that, but uh, this is episode 280 of the Social Pros Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Nothing short of spectacular. Nothing short of spectacular. And going to be the best one ever because our guest today is super interesting and has a very unusual job that kind of straddles the line between media and social media. Uh, Eric Holtgren is here. Eric is the director of social media and content marketing for MLive.com. Eric, welcome to Social Pros. Thanks, guys. It's a pleasure to be here. For folks who are not in the upper Midwest or the regular Midwest, in my case, tell, <laughs> tell the folks at home or the lower Midwest in Adam's case, right? I guess that's kind of where Texas is, go. the lower Midwest. Yeah. Um, tell the folks about MLive and, and how it works. Well, I feel like I should do it in a Game of Thrones sort of map thing now that you've Oh, God, I hope so. Of, yeah. North Cue of the, the music. But, uh, um, so MLive just went up. Winter is, is coming. A, um, it's, it's actually here, I think. Um, MLive is a, um, uh, it was a series of newspa- newspapers that all combined under one digital umbrella that you referred to in MLive.com. So we have offices throughout the state of Michigan um, covering anywhere from Grand Rapids, where I am currently, Ann Arbor, Flint, Saginaw, Bay City, Detroit. Um, and that side of the organization does the journalism part and you know pumps out stories that people consume in a news organization. My side of the organization, which aligns with what this podcast is about is on the sales and marketing and business side, talking to other businesses and teaching them about the digital ecosystem and the landscape and what they should be doing and specific to my job in social and content. And it's fascinating because you are, are doing social and content for clients of MLive, right? So advertisers, sponsors, people who are spending money with MLive are also then working with you and your team to get better at the same. Is that how that works? You're almost That's functioning like an, almost like an agency for, for those customers. That's exactly how it works. Yes. So they come to us and we help them work through the ecosystem and we either make content with them or for them or show them how to do it. 
can people buy those strategic services or operation tactical services from MLive uh, in sort of a bespoke basis, or do they have to be a sponsor, an advertiser, either of the website or the print paper uh, in order to, to work with you and your team? Oh, no, it's absolutely bespoke. They could, they could actually, we have plenty of clients that don't even know what the MLive part of the organization is that wow. buy stuff hmm. from us. That is fascinating. The reason that this is so interesting to me is that my, my second internet company uh, a long time ago, circa 1996, was the exact same model uh, in the television business uh, for a network of TV stations. And so I, I did the exact same thing uh, a long time ago. What's your team like? So my team currently is um, two videographers and then freelancers when we need them. I have four content writers and then I have four people whose job it is to do stuff in the social space. And that can be, um, I've got the team breaks out into people who are really great at the organic side and boosting that side and people who are really great at using the pixel and running ads in either the Facebook ad platform, Instagram, LinkedIn, that sort of thing. And then um, myself, I jump in when needed to kind of fill the gaps that are needed with fulfillment if we've got a large-scale client that needs the help. Isn't it amazing, two full-time videographers? Adam and I have talked about this on the show a lot in the last year, how prevalent that's become in staffing. It wasn't that long ago that you'd be like, why would I need videographers for my social? That's weird. <laughs> yeah, especially uh, now. I was saying, especially an organization that that's, that's kind of has its association with the newspaper. Sure. Yeah. But, I, but I mean, Jay, you're going to be at um, Content Marketing World, and I think 80% of the talks are about what you do with video. Yeah. So it's not like this is going backwards. And, and I actually, I mean, I, we all love to say this sort of stuff in the agency world. I would love 10 more videographers because I wonder what I could do with them. But two yeah. over the course of a year is pretty spectacular at this point. Yeah. As I start writing my, my new book, that's real good news. Thanks, Eric, for the reminder. <laughs> um, you're welcome. I think the new book. I think the new book is going to be a series of 15 second Instagram story clips, right? And just here you go. You'll Somehow be between two covers. Yeah. Right. Yes, exactly. It'll be the six seconds of YouTube videos that I'll watch. I mean, I'm not 100% kidding, actually. So I don't know. I have to, th I have to think that through a little bit. Um, so when you're doing paid for clients, obviously you're, you're buying ads. You talked about using the Facebook pixel, et cetera. Are you also using the MLive platform and, and, and that audience. So you can, you do lookalikes against them live. Can you use that pixel to help uh, clients or do you sort of keep church and state totally separate in that regard? We are currently keeping church and state totally separate. How long that will continue? I don't know, but currently we're running it totally separate because, um, you know, in very specific case, like the Flint water crisis, when we're boots on the ground, that sort of thing, it's important to keep that line very deep and very dark so that there is no confusion there. So until we figure out a seamless way to do that, we have not done yeah. lookalikes against the MLive audience. That said, we can use, uh, you know, first party data that we get off of that to, you know, do other stuff in the digital ecosystem. Yeah, no kidding. How do clients derive value from this? Are they looking for different things based on the type of business? Are they saying, Eric, bring me sales. Eric, bring me leads. Eric, bring me engagement. Eric, bring me reach. What, what, what do they want these days? They're saying all of those things. And I, I think for all of them, I actually turn around and ask them, like, what, what do you actually want to do? So you, so you get a lead and, and then what happens? Because I'm, while I love the platforms and what they do and how they can connect and the scaling of one-to-one -one com conversations and connections, what I'm more interested in is do you actually know what happens to that customer when they enter your ecosystem? Or is it all going to break if we jam everybody in the top of the funnel and it's going to break halfway through? So they come for all of that stuff. And we, we tend to find partners and clients that we can have a robust conversation about. Okay, so you get a lead. Now what happens? 
And then is there anything we can help you to walk that customer through an entire journey? I I think you put it up yesterday or the day before. It's not just having a social media strategy. It's having a business strategy. And social is a part of that. But it's not enough to just go, I'm going to do that Facebook thing. And that's going to get me sales because that's not at all how the platform works. To that end, are you helping people with more down funnel responsibilities? Are you helping them with marketing automation and, and, and CRM and retargeting all those kind of things? Or are you primarily doing the, you know, sort of middle up level? We are doing all of those things. I know that's kind of a cop-out answer, but again, it, it depends on the level of clients. So we have clients yeah. that that would be a lot for them. So they wouldn't necessarily either either need marketing automation or understand it. And we've got clients on the higher end that need all of that stuff. So we'll do that for them as well. If only there was a sponsor in this podcast who could help you with a platform <laughs> hmm. to do all those things in one place. It is literally like you sent me a list of things to go through so I could just promote Email. you. Yes. Well, <laughs> Salesforce Marketing Cloud, a long time sponsor of the podcast. would be happy to help MLive and their clients succeed are, with all things. Digital. We are a, a proud user of Salesforce, so we're already there. Uh, Thank you. That a boy. One of the things that you talked about in our pre-show conversation was that clients are getting more savvy about reporting. I'm seeing the same thing with our clients. I know Adam is as well. Would love to hear you talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So, I mean, and again, this is, you hear this a lot. And I think a couple of years ago is the thing you were here a hundred times. Like what's the ROI of social? How do I prove the ROI of social? And so now in 2017, we've got a lot of clients who actually understand what the platform should be doing. So it's not enough to do how many clicks did you get or what was my cost per acquisition or, or, or now to go back to what I was saying a couple minutes ago, when we do reporting, we actually have to walk through the entire campaign and what it did. So uh, uh, without giving up the ghost, so to speak. So a client has um, a widget that they're trying to sell. It could be that we at one point would just tell them, well, we got people to your website. Best of luck to you. Well, now it's, they got to the website, they checked out three pages, they came back out in the ecosystem. We, as you talked about earlier, we have the Facebook pixel. So we hit them again with a piece of content, brought them back into the ecosystem, and then they converted here. Because I, I think in some cases, marketers and even clients think that that marketing funnel is actually like the Ten Commandments. It's carved in stone and they start at the bottom and they come all the way through the to the conversion point, And then that's the end of it. When really we know that they can come in sideways, they can sit in the top and never do anything. They can go straight to conversion. If you're, you know, if you're an Apple fan, do they really need to run you through a marketing funnel to get you to buy the iPhone eight? No, you just go straight to buying the iPhone eight. So when we're meeting with clients that are a little bit more on the savvy side, we lean heavily into what is the story that you wanted us to tell and how did we get the customer to embrace that story and either convert to buy the widget or convert to come to your event or convert to buy your $800 ebook. Whatever we're trying to do, it's becoming more important now that the, the reporting actually takes up a bulk of what we do on the back end because they want to know every single thing that happened with that campaign, not only in the Facebook algorithm or the LinkedIn algorithm or the Pinterest algorithm, but how it affected their display, their search, their SEO, their billboards, their television, their radio, and our ability to tell that story becomes paramount. You have been for a long time a big local music guy in in Michigan, right? You're, You're part of the music scene, have been for a long time. Does that help you in social in some way? Does that experience of sort of being a connector in a vibrant real world community help with the way you think about using social and content to connect clients to their future customers? 
Yeah. And I, you know, to be more specific, I, I worked in radio for 20 years specifically. Um, and, and I do think it helped me look at the world in a different way. And I was actually thinking about this on the way over to do this, a very specific story I could share with you a couple years back myself and the guy who was doing mornings at the radio station I was working at hatched this idea. And this was far before, before Donald Trump wanted to run for office, but it does have to do with Donald Trump. So please don't turn the podcast off if you are offended by that. Um, But we had a plot of land in Grand Rapids that was a secret plot of land and no one knew what it was going to do. And so we got somebody on the air to pretend to be an affiliate of Donald Trump who had looked at the bylaws of the city of Grand Rapids to determine that a casino could not be above ground, but there was nothing preventing it from being below ground. (laughs) So we actually got the news organizations in our town to run articles and news and video about these, the Trump subterranean. So a lower level casino underground in Grand Rapids that would bypass the city bylaws. And we were able to run with that for a day and a half off of a story that we made up. And so the ability to get people's attention and spark their creativity and their interest in, because logically, if you write that sentence out, no one would believe somebody would put a subterranean casino to bypass laws. However, actual NBC affiliates are running this on their TV because in a 24 hour news cycle, you need a story to tell. So that ability to pivot and tell stories very quickly and connect with an audience has absolutely helped me, not only in the early stages when clickbait was the thing that radio stations were trying to do to get people to go to their Facebook pages and then go to their website. But then as everybody got a little bit savvier and knew that that was a terrible way to do business, the ability to tell a better story and see what story a potential client has that they might not even know. And pull that out of them and turn that either into assets that they can use and execute their own campaign, or we can help them do that in some way, shape or form if they need social, if they need display, if they need whatever. So yes, it's absolutely helped me to connect the dots that a lot of people might not be able to see. And, and notwithstanding the the fake news that Eric, you, you, you just created there. So, uh, <laughs> well, it's a long time ago, so I figured it was safe to, yeah. to go back to the fake news before it was I, fake I, news. I don't know what the statute of limitations is on, uh, on fake news. <laughs> I guess we'll find out, right? crime. But, uh, but notwithstanding that, um, as you've kind of evolved, and I am, I am going to come back to uh, to your radio experience. It, I think for one explains your your great baritone radio voice. <laughs> yes, um, and, and Jay and I are both uh, both both appreciate that. But I do would love to hear your your evolution of going from uh, radio and traditional media now into digital and social visual storytelling and just storytelling. How have you seen storytelling kind of evolve? You mentioned the speed at which a, a story can actually kind of explode in social. What other things have you seen over the course of your career? Well, when we when I started in radio, the I think the goal of everybody in radio was to get on TV because that seemed like the thing for you to do, but 2006, when Facebook shows up, a couple of us in the office are trying to figure out ways to hack into it because we knew that there was something different about that. And very quickly when Facebook opened up, we started running stories on our, there were no brand pages at the time, but we started running stories on, on our pages to get people to go to our website. Cause we again knew this thing was going to be different than MySpace. It was going to be different than Friendster. It was going to be different than all of those things and, and continues to be different from that. And so fast forward a couple of years when we're now on behalf of clients in the radio station, building digital campaigns and starting to sprinkle in social before I, I think most of us at our organization knew exactly what that should look like. And at, 
at one point, I, I just sort of, and I, I tell the story, I ran out of runway there. There was nothing really left for me to do, no place else for me to go. So I made the jump to MLive because they were digital first, mobile first. That was the first screen. So it allowed me to, again, like you said, start to tell stories in a different manner. And so specific to video and visual storytelling, it's the idea that there are, in my mind, there are three ways to tell that story visually. One, you can either do it on your phone or use Facebook Live and, and get that stuff out immediately and tell that story and put a boost against it if the content ends up being any good. Two, there's like that middle of the road where you need a videographer or a team of people that do video to come in and do that about us video or something that's two or three minutes and, and is glossier than what you could do on your phone. And then three is something that you would probably closer refer to a television commercial. So 4K, super high def, three 60 video, something along those lines. And those three different ways to tell a story all have time attached to them. So when you want to do the 4K thing, you've got to plan a little bit more for that. But when you go all the way down to Facebook Live, we could do that right now if you wanted to and make a connection with an audience. And where this gets really interesting, both with video and with straight up visual creative, is as people are stopping, not totally stopping, but stopping a bulk of what they type in their own home and talking to devices, how is your creative, either video or visual on social, aiming to people who are going to talk to Alexa or Siri or Cortana and ask them a question, how will they find you if they're not typing it? So to me, telling stories is so rapidly evolving into a lot of different rabbit holes that you at least have to understand perhaps where it's going so that it can make adjustments to what you're doing right now. No, you shouldn't stop doing Facebook Live, but you should be very aware that Alexa is getting more and more prevalent. And if it, I don't know, shows up in cars and you're a radio station to go back to my radio days, I would be very afraid of what happens when they can just yell at their console and it does things for them that they're probably not going to sit around and listen to the commercial break that you have on. So back to storytelling. For me, it's how fast we're able to create an asset that connects. And if it doesn't connect, Adam, you get to do it again tomorrow. That's the thing is that it's not like everything has to be that 4K video that you spent $60,000 on. You may have spent 15 minutes on it, but you can get up tomorrow and do it again. It, exactly. It's the lather, rinse, repeat of, of the whole kind of evolution of, of our industry. I love the articulation of going from it being done with your handheld device to bringing in a uh, a film crew with craft services and, and, and tens, if not hundreds of thousands <laughs> yeah. of dollars. Yes. I'm curious, and you're, I think, in an enviable position because with your agency, you say you've got several videographers in, on staff who are, have the equipment, they have the knowledge. I'm curious, not really talking about which platforms, but are you seeing trends in video use in social um, around creative. In other words, are you seeing that talking heads or product beauty shots or more product real life shots, uh, content that's more casual, showing professional spokespeople versus authentic users? Are you seeing any trends for our social pros listeners that seem to be resonating more with particular audiences for different types of products? Sure. I, I think right off the 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 jump, we've actually been doing some testing between Instagram and Facebook. And the one that we're seeing that's really interesting is it seems that video, the same piece of video on Instagram and Facebook performs a lot better on Facebook because I think people are expecting to see video on Facebook and are still used to scrolling through static images on Instagram. So it's not quite at a space where to your point, you should have a talking head or a really, really long story on Instagram because in our particular case, and I get that there are different 
cases all over the planet. But in our particular case, we're not seeing a lot of apples to apples comparison if we take the same piece of content and put it on both platforms. And we've just been doing some testing to see, to your point, where should we tell those stories? Now, what sort of stories do we tell? We're finding that the more authentic the story can be, which seems no duh, but when you're dealing with a client, they might not necessarily see it that way. The more authentic a story you can tell, the more connection you're going to have. So instead of running, let's use auto for an an example, instead of running incentive, uh, running footage that they call it. So the pretty glossy photos of, of, or video of the cars driving through streets or whatever. If we actually roll up with a camera crew and record a test drive of somebody who either is a customer or looks like a customer, that stuff tends to do a lot better because people can see that that is something they can connect with. There is, there's certainly a place for the dreaming phase of consuming. So people want to see what it would be like if they could own a Lamborghini or a Land Rover or whatever. But then when people are actually in market trying to buy a car, I think they want to make a connection with people that look like they look and buy the car that they want to buy. So across all those platforms, the things that we see connect the best are the ones that feel the most authentic. And that can be anywhere from, I'm, I'm thinking very specifically, a lawyer on the east side of the state who just did these series of videos that I think are just spectacular and he's completely down to earth and the, the facade is not there at all and you feel like you make an instant connection with that guy. Those things are playing really, really well on Facebook because that's how people are making connections using video in Facebook specifically. So um, I hope that answers your question, but those are kind of the trends that we're seeing in a nutshell. No, that, that's great. Uh, it's always interesting to see how that's evolving as well. But I think, you know, you, you said the authenticity of the content is, is so paramount. Now to take that question to the other side, which I think you alluded to, is the, uh, is the actual platform, you know, where some content works better on, on, on one channel or one platform than it does another. You mentioned Instagram, you mentioned Facebook. Curious how you're feeling about Snapchat, Snapchat, and also, you know, Snapchat versus Instagram, you know, battling out it out in the octagon. Who, who's going to win that fight? Uh, I mean, right now it's hands down Instagram, um, and, and that's that's not to say the battle is over. We still play in both spaces to see if there's clients that work better in Snapchat than they do in Instagram. But there isn't. If you've got I mean, if you're thinking about B2B, and I, I don't know why you would think about B2B necessarily as your first go in Instagram stories versus Snapchat stories, I would say 10 times out of 10 start with Instagram stories. But the thing that I love about this podcast and the thing that I love about social in general is the Petri dish that it becomes and that you're not necessarily maligned to just stand with one decision tree. And that's the only thing that you can do, because if you have a vertical 15 second video, why not try it in both places and see what happens? Now, we know that Snapchat has cooled off significantly because Instagram just beats them to the punch by launching almost the exact same product and skewing a little bit older. So in in the B2B space, or certainly if you're trying to reach anybody above 30, Instagram stories is going to be a better get than Snapchat. However, if you're trying to talk to people under the age of 24 and you're ignoring Snapchat, no matter how big or small you think it is, you're making a tactical error. So it's not, yeah, they're battling it out in the octagon, but right now there are two very different uses for both of those platforms, depending on who you're actually trying to talk to. And it sounds like you've got to create different content for both, recognizing, as you said, demographics of the Snapchat user a little bit different than uh, than Instagram. And, and certainly the Instagram and, and Snapchat are different than the demographics or even the user state of, of that same visual content on, on, on Facebook. So 
I, I totally hear that. I know one of the things you, you mentioned kind of in our pre-show was where you kind of have to rationalize going deep versus wide. This idea of you need to, as you recommend to your customers and clients, go deep with one or two social platforms rather than trying to kind of spread that goodness on a half a dozen different platforms. Is, is that a strategy that you have difficulty talking to customers or clients about or are they understanding of that? In most cases, they're understanding because you can look them in the eye and go, okay, Steve, if you start today and do Instagram and Facebook and Snapchat and LinkedIn and Tumblr and, 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 and you haven't put anything on any of them before, how successful do you think you will be? The answer is not very. But if you go all in on a platform and you can post consistently and make a connection, answer people's emails and answer their comments and answer their replies and all of that sort of stuff, and you start to build a community. One of the things that if you're not dealing with a large scale giant client like a Nike or a Pepsi, right? The donut store down the, sh the street doesn't need to get every single person in Grand Rapids to go to them. They, there is a line of, of which people they need to get to connect and get them to buy donuts. And that's to me a little bit freeing when you're in social is that you don't need to talk to everybody. You need to just talk to the right people who want to buy your donuts. Um, so I always say deep is the much better play than wide. And in an ideal scenario, Adam, if we can help them get highly successful at deep, then we add another channel and go deep there as well. And maybe they put somebody on staff who can run those two channels. And then they put another person on staff and another and another. And then maybe they go from that local donut shop to the next Dunkin' Donuts because they went in a single file line down one platform and built an audience from there as opposed to, like you said, trying 20 of them at once and failing instantaneously. It's funny you say that. I just did a presentation this morning, and what I mentioned was every time you add a channel, you are diminishing the effectiveness of your existing channels, by definition, unless when you add that channel, you are also adding time, budget, and personnel, which is almost never the case. It's almost never the case. We, we, we say, okay, we're going to be in these four channels. We got two people. Now we're going to be in five channels of the same two people. When <laughs> right. you do that, you are by definition imperiling the success that you currently have. And everybody sort of just feels like, well, we'll just add another one. It's like, well, where's that time coming from? So what I, what I did in this, I actually did more of a workshop today. I, I said, look, here's what I want you to do. Draw a circle on your piece of paper and create for yourself a pie chart. What percentage of your time are you spending on Facebook? What percentage of your time are you spending on Instagram? What percentage of your time are you spending on anything else? And then if something else comes along, you have to take percentages away. You can't grow a bigger circle. The circle is the circle. Uh, and, and that really, I think, helped them understand that, that just colonizing a new land, uh, Game of Thrones style, is, is not necessarily the, the best possible uh, output. The only exception being if you have dragons. If you have dragons, it kind of throws if that off. dragons, then all bets are off. Then, right. then Snapchat dragons. But um, I mean, to, to your point, Jay, it, you can find people that have that pie chart and add the wrong channel because somebody told them it was the shiny thing. And in converse, sure. there are, you know, there are people that, you know, that are highly successful in Snapchat where a lot of people go, I don't, I don't get how you're doing that. And they would run into Snapchat and be not successful because they don't necessarily understand how it works. Sure. And they could have been more successful hanging out in LinkedIn if that's where they should be. Absolutely. I've been spending more time in LinkedIn quite a bit lately, actually. It's working great. Um, and hell, you can still buy Google plus books uh, on Amazon. So you never know. Yeah. Okay. Is that your suggestion today? I'm um, no, it's not my suggestion. I'm just making okay. the point that uh, that there are still Google Plus books for sale. Um, 
you know what else is not even for sale? We're just going to give it to you. Is this fantastic ebook from Salesforce Marketing Cloud? It's called More Than Marketing. More Than Marketing, exploring the five roles of the new marketer. It breaks down five new essential marketing skills that all marketers have to have now and in the future. There's interviews in there. There's stories. There's interactive features even to help you get started figuring out all these new skill sets that you need to possess. Immediately actionable steps to master these new talents as well. It's really cool. Interactive kind of white paper ebook slick. Go to cnc.ly slash new marketer. That's cnc.ly slash new marketer. Also this week, I want to remind you of the brand new ebook published by myself and my team at Convince and Convert. It's called The Three Types of Social Media Metrics and Why They'll Get You Promoted. All kinds of information, research, best practices, advice, counsel on better social media measurement. Go to cnc.ly slash three social metrics, cnc.ly slash the number three social metrics. All the links, all the transcripts of all 280 episodes are at socialpros.com. And, and Mr. Adam Brown, we recently launched the new Social Pros Facebook Messenger bot. So if you go to socialpros.com, you will be asked to get updates via messenger and then each time we have a new episode of this here podcast we will send you a little note and a link to listen to it via messenger how about that i mean that that's incredible stuff uh we practice truly practice what we preach at least you at convince and convert do jay well we're trying yeah we're trying we're trying to hey eric i want you to talk about your charity work because i know that serves as a test bed for you. You've been doing a lot of stuff in that, not, not only with now playing for kids, your nonprofit organization, but also in the classroom. You've been a professor for six years, more than six years. Yep. And talk about how those two uh, experiences impact how you think about social content, digital, et cetera. Sure. Um, so I'll, I'll start with the, the teaching. For me, um, it's, it's really helpful for me when I, when I was back in radio and I worked at a top 40 radio station. So Justin Bieber, Flo Rida, that sort of thing. One of the things that I did very early on is I would go to the malls and go into the clothing stores to hear what songs they had on the mixtapes above to kind of see what sort of songs were going to be coming because I felt a successful radio station was the soundtrack for your summer. And in order to do that, the songs that you were hearing when you were purchasing clothes or watching movies or whatever should be the same thing that a radio station should be playing. So for me, um, I've always had a teaching mentality and I've always liked to teach and, and this has been such a great thing for me to do. I get to do it twice a year. I teach, um, intro to communication and then I teach, um, understanding mass media. It's ter- currently called media and culture, but the idea being what pieces of technology are these college students using and how does it have an effect on them? Because one of the things that I think we often forget, or at least don't talk about in public, let's say, um, is all the stuff that we're doing, all the tracking that we're doing makes this job a lot easier. And I, I think we all should be fine with it as long as everyone understands the game that's being played. And so what's been particularly fulfilling for me about this class is having robust conversations with 18, 19, 20, 22 year olds about, do you understand what this device is doing? And are you okay with it? Because if you're not okay with it, we should continue to have conversations about what sort of things happen. And then the other thing it allows me to do is see how they actually use the devices and understand that first and foremost, on st- you know, call it on stage, if you will, or at the front of the classroom, pretend I'm the client. 
Now I'm trying to get 30 kids' attention to pay attention to the message that I'm trying to give them. What's the best way that I can do that? And then how can I take those learnings and bring them back to the office and use a real-life customer and help them gain somebody's attention that may not want it. And the thing that you find or that I've found over the course of six years is something that I hear on this podcast week in and week out is that you've got to go where they are. If they are on their phones, then my classroom has to live on their phone so they can access it via a Slack channel or they can access it via Prezi links that I send them before the class starts. I have to go to where they are. And that lesson has been invaluable for me to continually talk about with customers that you can't, it's so hard now to get them to leave and go to a thing that you want them to do. It's much easier to go to where they are and try and convince them that you need them to do a thing that you want them to do. Pardon yeah. the pun, convince and convert, right? Um, so to me, that's been invaluable in the last six years to kind of learn that lesson and find new hacks away or around, I should say, getting their attention. I mean, my class is a night class. They do not want to be there. So in order to be successful, you have to be highly inventive and go back to the storytelling I was talking about a half hour ago. You have to be able to tell great stories because just putting up PowerPoint slides behind you and reading from them, you're going to lose them at 6.15 and you've got a long way to go before class is over. Well, the enthusiasm, Eric, that you have for, for teaching and for kind of the fish where the fish are mindsets of, of, of how to reach young people is, I think, so interesting. Uh, and I think it's, it's, it's finding that a kind of sweet spot between the visual storytelling and having students kind of understand that enthusiasm, but also recognize you've got all this research here. You've got to be able to look at that data, parse the data, and do interesting things with the data. I know, Eric, one of the things you talked about in, uh, in the pre-show was uh, your master's degree project uh, f uh, right after you were leaving uh, the radio space or you were kind of in the between, in the, in the middle of your radio space. Sure. I would love for you to tell the story of kind of what you did with that. But in our, uh, our pre-interview notes, you didn't say how well the program <laughs> worked. You kind of buried the lead. So I want you to share, once you've kind of shared the, the story, how did it work? What were the results? Or I led the questioning. Depends oh, on how you want to Perhaps that it. too, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, so when I was in uh, my master's program, you have to do a capstone project. And so what I wanted to do is at the time, we had been using analytics to monitor our streaming data of the radio station. So what I wanted to do is I had this theory that in the top 40 world, a lot of the music is um, – disposable, right? They're not going to remember it years, let alone months from now. So what would happen if we shortened all of the songs to just the good parts, the beat of the song, the choruses, and maybe one verse and ran for four and a half months, we ran a radio station that just played songs that were 90 seconds long, no more, no less. So think of what a mix show would sound like or what it sounds like in a nightclub as they're going from song to song to song to song to song. So we essentially weaved all those songs together and did that for four months to see if we could increase the time spent listening um, of the radio station. And we were able to do that over the course of four months. And then after the master's project was over, uh, we, we didn't really continue with because I, they were gracious enough to let me use an actual commercial radio station to do this testing. And I think after four months, they probably had their fill of, of me using it as a Petri dish. But learning even though, that... Even though it worked. Well, it did work. But I, I think... The work that it takes, you know, the work that we had to do, just some, some how do you make the sausage of a radio station, the work that you have to do is we would have to take every song that a record company would 
send us and then make custom versions of it. And when you're dealing with uh, a company like iHeartMedia at the time, they have a library of these songs that they use on a server. So it was really slowing down the way in which we could use the server space and things like that. So that alone was a little bit cumbersome because we couldn't get other people to adapt to that. That said, it was a really, really successful endeavor in the fact that we knew that at least for these four and a half months, people liked the the clip at which these songs would go by because they would hear their favorite part of their favorite song. And, and mm-hmm. if you're a top 40 radio station, that's, I mean, that's the, the creamy center, right? The, the best parts of the best songs. It's like that's Vine, but audio, it, right? Exactly. That's exactly what we're doing. And um, it works tremendously. And so for me coming out of that, I was then able to look and go, okay, so we have these rules in mass media, but it appears that these rules can be altered. And then again, taking those learnings into what I do at MLive, okay, we have this idea of what we should do for you know, an architecture firm on LinkedIn. Well, what if we break all those rules and build a campaign that might be slightly askew, but connects better? So that, aside from learning about ways in which people consume music, it helped me, again, look at the world just slightly off center and look at campaigns a little bit differently. So do you actually do some kind of test and targeting and A-B testing with uh, visual content at MLive on behalf of your customers? We we absolutely do. And um, in excellent cases, and there, there's a fair amount of them, we get with clients that have that sort of petri dish mentality and allow us to do some testing that's let's say outside of the scope of what they've signed on to do because they trust us enough to go yeah let's see what happens if we do this and then we'll come back and report and either continue or abandon the project eric i've got one more question for you before i hand it over to uh jay one of the other things you you kind of shared a little bit uh with us earlier was this idea of being fascinated by, I guess, and I'm using the word fascinating as a stretch here, but by brands, business owners who act one way at work. And then when they get home as a consumer of social media, they act completely different. You know, those who have listened to social pros know that I oftentimes talk about the marketer's fallacy, this idea that we assume that everyone is like us. If we like an ad, if we like a slogan, if we like an advertisement or advertisement, depending on which side of the uh, Uh, Mason-Dixon line you sit on. Um, But I think what you're talking about is really the reverse marketer's fallacy. Uh, Curious how you work with clients that act differently kind of when they're a consumer of social than those uh, when they're making decisions about their brand, about their company, about their small business. Initially, I do that very carefully because I'm not trying to step on any toes or, you know, prove that I'm smarter than anyone because I I don't ever think that that's necessarily the case. But I think it's important to point out, look, if, if you, Jim, spend all day long in an office doing the thing that you do, and then at night you go and you spend eight hours on Facebook just reading whatever, watching fishing stories or NFL news story, whatever you're consuming on Facebook, and you're coming to us and saying, hey, I want to run a recruitment strategy to find more of me, it it feels like it's my job to point out that maybe we should run that on Facebook at night because that's where we're going to find you. And and that comes back again from my time at the radio station because a top 40 radio station is leaning into a 22-year-old female and I'm currently a 43-year-old male. So the last 10 years of that job were really difficult to sit in somebody else's shoes and go, what song would they like to connect with? So bringing that into MLive, I'm, I'm able to look across the, the table at somebody and go, okay, 
if you're on Instagram all night long and you want to sell this widget, perhaps we should try it on Instagram if we're trying to talk to you. If I'm going to believe, Mr. Customer, that your customer looks like you, then your ad campaign should act like you act at night in order to convert them because that's where, again, that's where you're going to find them. You're no longer able to force them to go to your thing because you said so, because there is far too much noise and far too much choice. And if you bump into any sort of friction as a customer, Amazon is always the default choice. So if you're in retail, and you don't want to act like a customer 24-7, you've seen it this year. I don't know that there's ever been a year with as much retail disruption as you're seeing right now, and all of that has to do with friction. They always have another choice, and if they've got another choice, it's my job to have that conversation with the customer, and it's the customer's job to understand that they want to be the choice, and how do they do that? There's only two people who buy ads in tennis magazines, people who make tennis equipment and CMOs who play tennis. (laughs) That's the yeah. list, right? Because yeah, you're like, well, right. everybody plays tennis because I play tennis, right? It's, it's right. Like, exactly. exactly right. Uh, the marketer's fallacy is alive and well in 2017. Uh, one more question for you before I ask you the two questions we ask everybody, which is tell me about your 50-5-0 foster dogs. That's uh, a lot of yeah. dogs, man. That is a lot of dogs, but it was uh, a very... Um, not all awesome. at once. Not all at once. No, my wife and I, when... Um, Important clarification there. Yes, not 50 yes. at once. Um, four at a time was probably the, the max. But when my wife and I met, um, th- the first thing we wanted to do was get a house before we got married because we wanted a dog. And when we went and adopted the dog, the shelter that this particular dog was in was not that awesome. So we immediately went back the next weekend and volunteered our time because we thought, well their lives are pretty terrible and we can affect change on those dogs. And very quickly we found out, we didn't even know that this was a thing. We found out that you could foster dogs. You would take them into your home and you would get them acclimated to a house and then you would find them a forever home and then rinse and repeat. And um, my wife had always had a soft spot for pit bulls and other bully breeds. So we did 50, 55 total pit bulls over the course of four and a half years. Wow. Good for you. I appreciate that. Yeah. And now you're taking in people who, you know, don't really understand social media and you're going to yep. give them a forever home on Instagram. I, it's nice. I take them into my home and I give them a forever home on Snapchat. That's what That's I right. do. That's right. It's all, it's all coming together. Eric Holkren, director of social media and content marketing at M live. I want to ask you the two questions we've asked all now 280 guests on this show. The first question is what one tip would you give somebody who's looking to become a social pro? My one tip would be learn another language. And by that, I mean, if you're good at social, understand business. If you're good at business, understand consumer behavior. But if you're going to jump into this space, and again, I can't remember if it was today or yesterday, but your article is, is right on the money. You've got to understand the business strategy, not just the social strategy, because social strategies are a dime a dozen if they don't connect to a holistic campaign and produce results. So my one piece of advice is learn another part of the business and how that can affect your social campaign. Well, well said. I couldn't agree more. Don't forget, we have an ebook about that more than marketing and exploring the five roles of the new marketer from salesforce.com. Go to socialpros.com to get the link. Last question, Eric, is if you could do a Skype call with any living person, who would it be and why? It would be Andrew Stanton from Pixar, because I think he's one of the best storytellers on planet Earth. So the ability to kind of walk through how he builds a story like Wally or Finding Dory or Finding Nemo, to me, again, with that whole idea of brute thinking, um, go outside my industry to find somebody who's an expert in the thing that I'd like to learn and be better at, it would be him for sure. 
great answer. Love that one. I don't think anybody has answered Andrew in the past. We'll have to double check the database, but that's a great answer. We'll make sure to link up uh, some of the interviews with him that are out there on the internet in the show notes, which you can always find on socialpros.com. Eric, I think someone said John Lasseter at one point, right, Jay? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. I think somebody did say John Lasseter. Yes. Obviously, two peas in a pod there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a theme developing. Eric, thank you so much. Congratulations on all the success at MLive. Loved having you on the podcast. Terrific episode. Lots of great lessons and takeaways for listeners. We really do appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me anytime. You bet. Next week, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be back with another fantastic episode. That'll be 281, if you can believe that, Adam. Where, wow. where does the time go? And we've got a whole bunch of, uh, of shows, great shows, uh, lined up here in the near future. So we're, we're going to be locked and loaded uh, for, for the whole fall. So make sure you don't miss an episode. Go to socialpros.com to get the links and the transcripts, but also don't forget the new Facebook Messenger bot. Just click once, and then we'll send you a little note every time we publish a new episode so you can tune in every week. So do that. We're kind of messing around. We're experimenting. want to see how that works for you. On behalf of Mr. Adam Brown from Salesforce Marketing Cloud, I am Jay Bear from Convince and Convert. As always, it's been our pleasure having you, and this has been Social Pros. Thanks for listening to Social Pros. Please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcast listening app. Go to socialpros.com for a complete show archive and for our greatest hits. Social Pros is sponsored by Convince and Convert. Salesforce Marketing Cloud, and by Yext, and is produced by my team and I at Convince and Convert Media. If you're interested in being a guest or a sponsor on the show, visit us at convinceandconvert.com.